This is episode number 259. What makes you feel alive? With Lachelle Atkins, Scott Mason, and Casey Berman. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lokit, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming weekly conversation called Survive to Thrive Attitude of Gratitude. What this is, is a series of conversations where we explore the connection between gratitude and grief, gratitude and resilience, gratitude and appreciation. And the topic that you're going to hear today is actually a replay from that conversation, and that is gratitude and the connection between what makes you feel alive. If you're interested in joining any of these upcoming conversations, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today, where you'll be able to find the latest details regarding our upcoming conversation, as well as ways that you can join us on each and every single Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time through LinkedIn Live or Facebook Live. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our show, and that is if our show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider making a contribution through our website or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. If there's one thing that makes me feel alive, it's to be able to share the space with the three of you here. So <laughs> thank you. I, I appreciate all of you for being a part of it. And the way that I actually would like to start off this conversation is I share the most recent trip that I did about a <laughs> week ago. I think it was last weekend. I ended up going to the Grand Canyon and I hiked from North Rim to South Rim. And for those that are not aware what that experience entails it's a 24 mile hike with uh first 12 to 13 of them being downhill i think it's 8000 foot elevation and then the remainder there's a little bit of flat ground not as much as we were told and then afterwards there's a 7000 foot incline for 4 to 6 miles so we did all that in one day we started at 6 a.m. in the morning uh, we finished by i think closer to 10 10 p.m. had quite the experience. You know, there's something that I've learned about life, and I'm curious to hear from the three of you as well as anyone else that's joining, but nothing ever goes according to the plan. Mm. There's always some adversity, some challenge, something that happens. And I've been curious recently. I wonder if that's just something that's quote-unquote meant to be, if that's the thing that kind of adds on to that experience and makes it special. For us, that experience and that adversity was a five-mile hike in 125-degree weather with uh, no water. We ran out of water. And so (laughs) (laughs) talk about a moment that really makes you feel alive. It is one of those. And then the second one was right after we visited the park ranger who 
gave us some ramen <laughs> because ramen has a lot of salt and water to um, get our levels up. <laughs> and then we ended up hiking the remaining five to six miles from there. Well, <clears throat> hiking in the dark in the Grand Canyon is a whole other experience because that's where the wildlife comes out. So scorpions, rattlesnakes, and then we weren't the ones to run into this, but the couple ahead of us ran into a ram, a live ram. So talk about another moment that would make you feel alive, right? <laughs> but that's where I figured this conversation, it's very timely as far as what I've been through, but I'm also curious to hear from all of you because I think this is a topic, in my opinion, that's relevant to probably many of us that get to experience life in the form that we do. So when you think about your own life and you think about the different events that have happened within that, what do you think makes you feel alive? For me, uh, you know, um, being a mother of 15 children, I would say um, one of the things that really stands <laughs> out is the moment of childbirth. Uh, because I feel like that is the closest to death, I feel, in terms of things just being uh, painful, out of my control, and then at the same time seeing life in real time. Um, so to me, that's always been a profound thing uh, with every one of my deliveries. No one has been the exact same. I mean, it's just nothing like it. So, you know, just in terms of just seeing uh, an extension from my own existence, that just mm -hmm. is very profound. Now, is the labor truly, is it like, what makes it that difficult? You know, it, your body goes through a transformation. That's the thing I would say. Um, and I understood that because when I've had my first child, I went to Lamaze class to understand what the dynamics are internally. And uh, 11 of my children, I had natural with no pain medicine. And then the last two, because I was over 40, they consider me high risk. So I had to have a C-section. Um, but I don't know. To me, I just thought it was, um, I, I can say 11 of them natural. That's all I knew because, you know, the first one was natural. They all were the mm -hmm. same, but I think it's just that whole point of the pain being so much that you feel like you just can stress out. So the whole thing is breathing. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can get your breathing down, um, I wouldn't say that it's bearable. I mean, it's <laughs> manageable. I mean, after I've gone through it, but Breathing was one of the things that is so important. That's the whole point. It's just your breathing. And if you really can get that to where you can focus and have that clarity, you know, you can make it through. I mean, in all my deliveries, some of them were like 24 hours, long periods of time. Some of them were shorter. And so to have that breathing down for that uh, time period, you know, it's, wow. it's important. Yeah. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Scott? <laughs> I was going to make a crack about how I've had 15 children and never felt that much alive. But 
I thought that might be pushing it a little far. I'm the so, only woman, so I got to represent. You know what I'm saying? I, I had to slam dunk. Well, so you know how hard it is to shut me up? Jeez. Keep you off this show. <laughs> Jessica, I see you there, too. I see you're all agreeing here with Michelle. Okay. I will talk a little bit about a couple of things here. First of all, there was a time in my life, Jessica's very first remark was about not feeling healthy. And I think she mentioned maybe a virus also that she's had in one of her comments. And there was a period in my life when I was going through some health challenges. It was more than a decade ago. And I had a whole array of medicine on my desk at work one day. And one of my staff members came to my office and she looked at me and she looked at my desk and saw that array of medicine and she didn't say anything. Then she just looked back at me and then she was startled and she just went on with the conversation. And at that moment, I felt like a corpse only without at least the intense experience of having been bitten by a zombie. And that wasn't in a way, the extremity of that experience, it made me feel like I was close to death. So the intensity of an experience doesn't necessarily, in my case, equate to um, feeling alive unless there is, like Lachelle talked about or what you talked about, Oleg, some hope or some corollary of ex or experience of gratitude, which is the underlying theme of this show, to balance that or maybe to be cathartic at the end. Mm -hmm. One thing that does not make me feel alive is being bored to death, which is why I try and bring animation into the room. Boring is close to death. Boring is the, is, is the very opposite of feeling alive. I'll talk about another situation that didn't involve pain, though, where I felt truly alive. And it was perhaps, again, due to the intensity of the experience. Many years ago, I went to Norway, and in the beautiful town of Bergen, there are these funiculas that you can take up to the top of the mountains that surround it. It's a bay town, so there's this finger of a fjord that comes up, then there's a valley that the town is in, and then there's a whole ring of mountains around it. And my husband and I went up to the top of the mountains, and there were forest hiking trails, and we walked, and we walked, and we walked. And then suddenly, we came up to the end of one of these trails and walked into the forest, and without knowing it, we were all of a sudden on a cliff. And on this cliff, I'll never forget it, on either side there were trees that grew outwards in a circle. You can't see my hands because I'm not doing that right. Overlooking the valley below. And I looked down and I could see the town beneath me and I could see the sparkling of the water. And then to the other side, I could see mountain after mountain after mountain. And on those mountains, I seemed to see water like a gigantic lake it might have been actually some sort of mirage caused by the fjord but it looked like a whole mother load of, of mountains with a celestial lake there and the sun was shining down and as i stood at the top of that cliff i felt like god i felt like i had never been more alive in my life i felt like the whole world was there in front of me and the possibilities were endless and that's when i felt alive the intensity of that experience of feeling like you're not only in nature observing it but you're transcending it that was what made me feel alive do you think a part of that has to do with because i i've experienced a similar thing when i was at the grand canyon being so small compared to the canyon itself mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and experiencing that feeling of being alive. I, I wonder that does that play into that equation? What we, no one knows what happens to, if you believe in a spirit, Mm -hmm. And no one knows exactly what happens to that spirit. There's a lot of controversy around what would happen to that spirit. And as we all know, there's controversy as to whether we even have a spirit. But our physical body itself, there's little controversy about what happens to it. It's gone. And it rots. And so once you are dead, your body is no longer capable of feeling anything sensory. It's just impossible. If there's nothing there, it can't feel anything. Mm -hmm. And so perhaps what I was experiencing, what you're talking about, perhaps even what Lachelle was experiencing in that moment of life emerging after the pain of her childbirths was sensory overload. The exact opposite of what we experience, our bodies <laughs> at least, in controversially experience at the, af at the point of death and afterwards, which is nothing. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. I never thought about it through that lens before. Well, I blame you. I hadn't either. <laughs> Casey. Yeah. What a great question. Uh, so being the former attorney that I am, you know, let's, I want to, I want to lay out a definition or a landscape so we can, we can kind of understand it. But, you know, when you think of the first thing, which Scott just brought up sensory, which I want to get into, it's a great point. Lachelle talked about her, about childbirth, um, Oleg Grand Canyon, Jessica talks about the virus. So these are all examples of what, of non-aliveness, right? A ram's going to kill you. Childbirth is pain. Um, a virus could kill you. A virus is pain. And so the first thing I just want to say is that the way we define what feeling alive is by turning to the opposite, turning to death or close to death, or turning to what makes us potentially not alive. And I think we do that because we take aliveness for granted, not in a bad way, but it's like a fish in water. What, you know, how's the water? The fish would say, what water? It's like us with oxygen. I mean, how often do you think about oxygen? We never mm -hmm. think about oxygen. Why? Well, I feel like we don't think about being alive and we could probably could appreciate it more and have more gratitude to it. And so when we don't think about it, we don't put in some time to really define it, and that's okay, but the way we define it is by its opposite. And so I think that's why a lot of the pain is coming up. And I feel if we appreciate it more and really have more Oleg, have more of you, Oleg, in the world to ask these questions, we can then come to non-dualistic uh, answers, because that's what it is. We're talking about the duality of it all, the, bi the binary nature of it all. So that's the first thing. And I, I even need to challenge myself to not define what makes me feel alive by, by the opposite. The, so then as far as a framework, how I'm thinking of it is if you think of our five senses and then you think of thoughts and then you think of our feelings, if that's really our consciousness, because you're either going to perceive something through the five senses you're going to think about it or you're going to feel. I mean, that's pretty much what we do all day, every day. So you can feel alive in the ways we've described. Um, you know, if Scott's feeling bored, whether it's a thought or a feeling, um, if we're getting bit by a rattlesnake, if we're feeling anxious because the sun is going down in the Grand Canyon, all of that 
we're going to, that comes through one of those seven channels. But then there's something else. Then there's consciousness. This is, this is God. This is nature. This is the observer. This is what Buddha talked about. This is what Jesus talked about. This is the kingdom in heaven that Jesus talked about is that inside of us, right? So then you've got consciousness. So what I'm throwing out is I think there's two ways to feel alive. I think there's one way within those seven areas you think you feel are the five senses. And then I think, and this is what I'm wrestling with is like, there's another way to feel alive, which is what all the sages have been telling us, which is beyond, beyond this matrix, beyond this world. And that is, I think where meditation brings you. That's where non-thought brings you. That's where the observer brings you. So I think, you know, what makes you feel alive? I think our senses, our thoughts, and our feelings make us feel alive in this sandbox. But if we can pull out religiously or not, spiritually, religiously, meditatively, there's another way to feel alive, which is that peace and that alignment when you kind of quiet your thoughts and quiet all the senses. So I'll pause there, but but that's that's sort of the 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 framework that was coming to to mind for me as to how to how to how to answer the question. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I was just thinking, you know, that is some profound stuff you were saying. But one thing I would say is that you know, like our senses are helping us to experience life, and a lot of times, like what you said about uh, definition of. Um, feeling alive is with the opposite. And um, I think as you go throughout your journey, um, there's this knowledge that life is with the highs and lows. I mean, that's a part of living, that you have the bad and the good. And so um, a lot of times people feel like alive is always something good. But I'm just saying, you know, we love to have children and part of that is pain, you know, uh, physically when it comes and then, you know, throughout emotional, spiritual, whatever, you know, with your children, because they're going to do what they're going to do. And same thing, I think, with like um, uh, Oleg brought up earlier, you can have plans and then plans just don't even manifest the way you thought they would because life happens. So I think there's that element of you know, being alive is not always the peace, the, because of our own existence and what we can really comprehend or even know. I mean, we just don't have all the knowledge to know all the ins and outs as to how you learn courage, but you learn that by being afraid and doing something and then you get courage. I mean, on the other side of a lot of the things that we pursue, we don't know all the aspects until after you go through it, when you get that knowledge. Yeah. And that's a part of being alive. Do you think we'd ever really feel alive if we were immortal? You you muted out or something. Do you think we'd ever feel alive, really, if we were immortal? Mm. So, uh, <laughs> I, I think... Uh, so... I think the reason we have senses is because, well, if you believe the soul is immortal, mm-hmm. you believe God is immortal. If you believe nature, whatever, whatever you subscribe to, I I think 
that's non that's not dualistic that's one thing you know infinity means union it's everything it's all one that's what Bob Marley sung. That's what John Lennon sung about. That's what everyone, Jesus, Buddha, everybody, right? That's what all Disney movies are about. So I think that they do, but but the immortal energy, cre we have senses, we have this world because duality, the ups and downs, like Lachelle talked about, like an EKG meter, if your heart is flatlining, you're, you're dead, dead, right? Like you need an EKG, you need the ups and downs to show that you're alive. So Scott, I would answer it by saying, if you're immortal, it it I think the I think the immortal created or jumped into the senses world in order to experience life as we know it. Does that answer? But the immortal mm -hmm. doesn't have even if the individual experiences that we have include death. Death, the immortal by virtue of being immortal, doesn't die. And so the immortal never really is afraid of death. Right. Because it knows it's immortal. And so mm -hmm. it's actually missing things that we experience as mortal beings. So it, it like it, does the whole concept of immortality negate the idea that there can be anything that has experienced the totality of everything? Because if it's immortal, there's one thing it can experience, and that's death. Right. And so, no, it's, it's, it's a great point. I think the reason death, death is not a bad thing. You need death. You need a show to end. Mm -hmm. You know, you need a game to end. You, you know, there's a reason. And so, Scott, to your point, I think that the immortal, the immortal might be missing out on the ups and downs. And that's why I think we have the sensory world and we have the meditative world. And I don't think one, I think you need both. You need a foot. You need a foot in each. Um, so, Lachelle, to your to your thing about the the plans, I just wanted to throw out there the quote, the Mike Tyson quote that you know everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah, and you know which, which part of something that I live by. But um, <laughs> but yeah, Scott, I think that I mean my feeling is is that um, there's a real value in the pain. Remember, death. Uh, uh, Oleg and I were talking about this. Pain doesn't mean you need to suffer, mm -hmm. right? Suffering is our viewpoint of the pain. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't get the job or, oh, I didn't get it. Or, oh, this hurts so much, right? Like pain is that is the physical could mm -hmm. even be the emotional. The suffering is, is up to us. We don't need optional, to yeah. we can, it's optional. We, we can, we can make that choice. But I think in a weird way, Scott, I think the immortal realized the contrast we have in this world and wanted to experience it as as many have said you know through our souls so so in a, in a way by us having our ups and downs we literally are giving the immortal insight into a new way to feel alive is it realistic to expect anyone to be that generous casey <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give the immortal a lot. I'll do a lot for the immortal. <laughs> I'll bend over backwards. I'll work pro bono for the immortal. <laughs> It'll come. I'm thinking long term. <laughs> why? Why do you think? And maybe this is just my perspective of it, and I'm projecting it on the rest of you. But why do you think that? It seems to me in whatever the majority of the society looks like or, or a portion of the society, it's 
difficult to embrace that concept that everything has an end. So not necessarily death as far as, well, I guess you could say it is death. There is a death to a project. There's a death of an idea. There's a death of a person or a living thing. I've been curious about this because I find myself doing this sometimes as well, wanting to preserve the longevity of it as long as possible without really, instead of going the other way, recognizing that, okay, this thing completed its cycle and it's going to, is that, is that just a natural human condition that I'm going to say we, but I don't know if it's all of us, but some of us aspire for, for certain things to live forever or is like the star Wars movies. Exactly. I think, I think Trek. Yeah. Sometimes having that mindset can set you up for um, negative outcomes. Mm-hmm. You know, you go into a marriage and you're like, man, you know, we might get a divorce mm-hmm. because you're thinking about an end or, you know, relationships, business transactions. You don't really have the complete faith that it would work out. You know, you mm-hmm. just have these things in the back of your head where you're like, this isn't going to last, you know, prenuptial agreements, certain clauses and contracts. I mean, I don't know. It's just what kind of lens you want to look through. I think the fact that everything has to have an end, um, that's a limiting belief. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think, because we're determining that end, you know, just like he's mentioned with the game, the game has to be over. Well, who says, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, this is something that we create and we agree with and we continue to um, pass on to others. So I think it's really something to, when we think about a lot of the things that we do, is it something that serves us? Is this the belief that really is going to help us to move forward? Because, You know, if you are living life, life is a marathon. You know, it's not a sprint. It's not going to be a quick end for this and that. And so if you condition yourself to believe that it is just a series of sprints, you could set yourself up for some major uh, pain and and upset with that. Yeah, and, and to the question of why you do that, right? Like, why do you hold on to things? whether it's an experience or a friendship or, you know, a stuffed animal, um, not you, my kids, but, or who knows, maybe you have, a stuffed animal. maybe you have a stuffed animal. We don't see and it's off camera, but we all have our skeletons in the closet, right? We all got them. Uh, I think that goes to the, the seven things, the five senses and then thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. You are in your thoughts and feelings there. You're immersed there mm-hmm. because this thing, this, this show, this experience, you're feeling, you're in there. And so you're attached to it. It it provides you a certain level of comfort. It provides you control because at the end of the day, we don't want to lose control, but if, because if we lose control, if we pull that thread, we're going to die and we don't want to die for the same thing that Scott was talking about. Because if I'm just going to die, if my show doesn't come back next year, I'm going to die. If I get divorced, I'm going to die. If this happens, we don't say the D word necessarily, but Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's a figurative death. We don't want to experience because as Scott brought up, death is bad, but to the point, like Lachelle talked about, about the duality, you won't know if something's bad or good until you don't have it anymore mm-hmm. until you try something new. 
Um, the other thing is you're not because you're in your thoughts and feelings and you're not in the meditative state in the other area. You're not in the kingdom of heaven. You don't realize that everything you need is not in the external, but it's in the internal. You got it already. So I think when you say like, I, I don't want something to end, which I'm, I'm I don't want to say I'm guilty. Guilty is the wrong word, but I experience it all the time. It's when I'm in my thoughts and feelings. I'm immersed in that, that water. I'm the fish in that water. Mm -hmm. And I just don't realize it. And so when I'm able to kind of pull out and observe my thoughts and feelings mm -hmm. in that water, it doesn't necessarily make that pain that I've lo of loss any less severe. I'm just observing that it's a pain or loss. I'm, I'm sort of separate from it. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating that you mentioned that because it also just uh, makes me think of another rabbit hole that I think semi-related and it's that concept of control wanting mm -hmm. to control the outcome, wanting to control the process. I know, Lachelle, you're big on this, not being married to the outcome. <clears throat> I think there's something profound to that. And the, I, the other thing that I'm understanding through this conversation is maybe this concept of feeling alive. In based on my understanding, it sounds like it's a byproduct. It's a byproduct of a perspective that gets created by understanding that there is death and then that there is life. Mm -hmm. Scott? There are scientists and other thinkers who, as we all know, believe that the creation of the universe itself was a random act and that every single thing that has occurred within it is random. Mm -hmm. And I have read those describe life on earth as just a quirky, unintended, because there's no intention at all, byproduct of natural random processes throughout the universe. That really we're, our world, the earth, everything that has happened on it, including all of prehistory and all that is to come on earth, are mere equivalents of a minor like bacterial or fungus thing that we see on the toilet that we, you know, just sort of scrub away using our, our brusher and then just don't even think about for more than a second because there's no thinking going on and it's that minor. And that goes as to the power of perspective because although from the perspective of a universe that those would argue has no what Casey's described as an observer and I'm fully aware that there are there are scientific evidence that the randomness theory is not completely true at least there's indirect evidence the least case the worst case scenario uh, that goes as to the relationship between perspective and what matters or not. We may have a feeling of being alive purely as a byproduct of much greater and con more consequential processes that are going on in our lives or in our relationship with the cosmos or what I call providence, other people might call the universe or God or whatever. Uh, and that makes it no less meaningful because of the fact that in a larger picture, it may not be 
consequential. It's meaningful to us because we're in it. The moments that that bacteria in the corner of our bathroom near the toilet that we whisk that we whisk away, for all we know, we of course are pretty sure that they don't have sentience. But if there is any experiential perspective that the bacteria itself has, that time that they have, while overall inconsequential to us at least, is everything that they have. And maybe appreciation of what they or the whatever, if any conscious, that which they surely don't have any conscious feelings, but if they have any sort of state, even a, the most baseline survival instinct before we whiff them away, that bacteria or that fungal life may itself have whatever its version is of feeling alive. Or if it could, it would almost certainly feel alive. So I would say even if it's a byproduct, to me, it doesn't matter. Because the only perspective that we truly have is ours. And it matters to us. Right. What contributed towards your appreciation of life? This is for for any of you. Is it near-death experiences? Is it something that's completely unrelated? Like what made you realize those things? Because I found myself to be in similar situations now. For example, I'll see mosquito flying and instead of killing it immediately, I I don't know how I get into this space, but it just happens. And I've trained myself to do it for so many years, but now I acknowledge the length of time that a mosquito has. <laughs> or some of the other insects that I would see crawling across the street and instead of, you know, stomping it and killing the insects, I think about maybe this is the life cycle that it has, is literally getting from one end of the street to the other. And I've been curious from other people, like what contributes to that level of appreciation for life? You're getting older, Oleg. (laughs) (laughs) He's a heck of a lot older than me. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, me too, I think. Uh, You're getting older, man. Yeah. Um, what a pre I, I, you know, for me, it went to my children and which I know is an answer that um, I would kill. Kenneth jumped in. I would kill that mosquito. They don't like me. So he's uh, <laughs> he, he's fighting age. He's not getting Kenneth is young. He's still got that. Um yeah, I can't. I mean, even with the mosquitoes, particularly at night, if they sneak into the room, I, you know, my kids aren't around. I, 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 I value my sleep more than that. Um, but it's tough. I get it. I, I totally get it. And for me, uh, my kids, I, my kids have been um, the pain. They've been tough uh, to raise them. We homeschool. We're not in traditional schools. A lot of things that we've done. And um, they kind of gave the middle finger to traditional school and to traditional uh, life in a certain way. And at first, it really just annoyed me. Those are my expectations. I was suffering, right? Like, I had a certain vision for how I wanted my life, my wife too. And, and, and it didn't really pan out that way, right? Um, but then there was a moment where when you're stuck with your kids forever. So I was like, what am I going to do? Just sort of scrap and start over? You can't do that. So... I had a choice where I was going to be irritable dad or non. I was going to be Al Bundy from Married with Children or I wasn't going to be. And, <laughs> you know, 
And I chose to not be. Got a dog who was running, listening to a lot of different people. Um, a lot of the uh, things I talk about here on mine, I just, you know, I heard someone else say it. But um, so I think that children for me was a real forcing factor um, <laughs> in life. Uh, Lachelle probably knows it eight times more than I, 10 times more than I do. I have two kids, but um, that's really what did it. And it's something obviously you can't just start over. You're, you're stuck with them um, for better or for worse. And that's a good thing. So that really caused me to say, you know, who, who do I want to be? And so by not wanting to be irritable dad and irritable dad syndrome, by the way, there was a book on it. It's a real thing. You, I said, okay, well, I got to do something different. This was, you know, five, 10 years ago. And so um, I started appreciating things more. I started thinking through things more. I started pulling out of my senses okay, they're late to school again. Screaming doesn't help. I'm making my wife mad. I know I'm right here, but obviously everyone around me doesn't agree. What's wrong with them? You know? So uh, the senses and the thoughts and the feelings, like why does everyone look at me strange? Aren't we supposed to get to school on time? F-bomb, 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 right? So um, that, I'll pause there, but that really for me was like, okay, I'm, I'm 37, I'm 38, I'm 39 years old. I got to I gotta shift my mindset. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I love that he said that because I think that was one of the hardest lessons for me to learn was that although you can really be good at managing your own uh, time and priorities, when other people are thrown into the mix, I mean, that's just like, I, I, the, I struggle with that with my depression because I just thought, what is the problem here? You know, I was an only child. So for me, I didn't have that dynamic of this ebb and flow, trying to see how other people feel about it, learning their personality styles. So for me, I just thought, what is wrong? Okay, why can't we get this? So I get that. I think for me, the thing that really helped me, though, with changing my mindset was living beyond something I thought would be unbearable. When I look back and I think, man, you know, I was in the hospital three times for depression and finally realizing that I was part of the problem because <laughs> hmm. I was blaming everybody else, um, you know, because I just didn't know how to cope. I didn't know how to ask for help. I just, I'm supposed to have all the answers. So what is wrong with everybody else? So realizing that point to where I still made it out on the other side, and then I had the ability to make a transformation for myself mm -hmm. and choose to do something different was very empowering. And, you know, that's really what has done it for me. And so now, um, I question everything. I'm like, you know, is this true for me? Why do I believe it? You know, I just don't agree with stuff like I used to because I'm thinking that doesn't even make any sense because I really didn't have that time to reflect. I was on autopilot doing a lot of things just out of this is the best way to do it, you know, so we can get it done and not really having that reflection to see you know, how can I do this where I'm working smarter, not harder? I mean, something mm -hmm. as simple as laundry. I take my laundry to a wash and fold. You know, for me, I'm like, hey, it's no different than the cleaners. I have casual clothes, so why can't I take them to the wash and fold? You know, so things like that. Do either of you, 
Lachelle and Casey, do you feel appreciated by your children? No. (laughs) (laughs) At least we're being honest. (laughs) Yeah, I say that I think, you you know, it's hard because with your kids, they don't really know what appreciation is to the full extent, I think. I mean, that's just like us. We're talking about being alive and we even have our issues with appreciateness. So I think in terms of what they want, they can measure some form of appreciation, but you don't really know what you know until you get on the other side of certain things. So, you know, like my teenagers, they they appreciate, or my young adults, they appreciate those teenage years but it wasn't until they got to be a young adult that they realized, okay, you know, mom and dad didn't know what they were talking about. And, you know, I was really being problematic, you know, not always them, but you know what I mean? It's just that whole thing of kind of being self-absorbed and not really understanding how they fit into the whole picture. Mm -hmm. And um, we just had different goals. You know, we're having a goal for the family. They're looking out for their goal of, how they can get what they want, so to speak. Mm. Yeah. And, and I say it, I joke a hundred percent. They're in their ego world. They're in mm-hmm. their self observe and that's where they need to be. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fine. So I don't even really, in a weird way, I don't want them to appreciate me. I mean, I want them to clean their dishes and clear their plate, but <laughs> you know, and, and say thank you, but I, I get it. And it's not, I'm joking. It's not that big of a, of a deal. I want to teach them manners and that that's kind of, kind of our job. But, um, uh, they are, I don't want to say they're in non-appreciation phase, but they're, they're focused on their self and, mm-hmm. and that's okay. That's right where they need to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause I got to ask myself that question, you know, do I appreciate my mom? You know, she's still living and, you know, there's things that I do, but I think as a child, you know, um, even though I'm an adult and I have my own children I think there's still more that I could be doing to express appreciation that I'm not doing. Yeah. You know, right. I'm caught up in, oh, I got 15 kids and I'm working and all this. And, but still, you know, you have to make time for priorities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scott, what made you appreciate life around you? If you appreciate life around you. <laughs> That's a tough question because In my case, there was no single transformative experience. There were periods when I was younger when I didn't appreciate life. In fact, I actively thought it was nothing but misery and awfulness. And in my case, as an adult, I can say that, as Lachelle mentioned earlier, responsibility for our mindset sets in. And we have to, at some point or another, when we're ready, which isn't always when we quote unquote should be ready, it isn't always in place. But as a child, I don't think that the mental state that we're in lends itself to that level of self-accountability. That's part of growth and development. By the way, I do want to say hi to Miriam, to Kenny, and to Ashanti. I love saying hi to folks just because... I love connecting with other people and that I hadn't had a chance to do that yet. Um, But I will say that for so long, I experienced life as merely hell or variations on it. 
didn't understand how or why I should appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So perhaps it wasn't until I had the maturity to see beyond suffering, to imagine that anyone cared about me, to have escaped some circumstances in my life that let me believe that hopes, dreams actually could happen, Mm -hmm. that I was able to appreciate it. Did I ever really come to a place where I felt alive? That story I told you about in Norway happened when I was in my early 30s, maybe mid-30s. I will say that that was the first time in my life that I truly felt the zing and the zest of being fully alive. But once you get a little tiny taste of it, once you get a little salt on your fingertip, put it in your mouth and suck it in, you don't go back. Mm. Final thought for today's conversation, and then I'd love to open this space up for ways that people can connect with each and every single one of you. But when you think about this concept of what makes you feel alive, do you find that in your life it comes with a certain level of risk? So, for example, standing on the edge of a cliff, mm-hmm. hiking the Grand Canyon, giving birth to a child, do, do you find yourself doing that, pursuing certain events that require a certain level of risk in order to be able to experience that state? I'd actually like to start off with the answer to that one. Of course. Having worked for government for 20 years and talking to many of the people I know who have stayed in that, part of the appeal of government work for many people, not all, but for many, is that there's no risk. And they think they love it. But when I talk to them about where I am in life now, Sometimes I get accused of having over-the-top energy or all of this sort of stuff. But that's because I truly do feel alive, Mm -hmm. which I didn't have before. And they don't understand. They say, Scott, what is it like to feel that? Where did this come from? How do you experience it? That's because the route that I've taken has risk. Putting everything on my line for what I believe in and what I want to be. And that's how I feel most alive. So I would argue, at least for this one human being with his baseball hat on backwards, (laughs) the answer is indeed yes. Mm -hmm. Casey? So I think the answer is no. And if you stay in the senses and you stay in your thoughts and feelings, then you need a ram to approach you at night. You need a virus. You need the pain of childbirth. You need fall, almost falling off a cliff to make you feel alive. If you can move away from the senses, if you can clear your mind of thoughts, if you can not feel, even for 12 seconds, if you can pull out the nirvana that the Buddha talked about, which literally means blow out, Nirvana means blow out like your breath, not control. We think if we control everything, we're going to, you know, I'm going to control my breath. I'm going to hold it. Well, you know, what's going to happen if you hold your breath in actuality, if you let go 
and you let go of your breath. That's what nirvana means in Sanskrit. That's what Jesus meant by the kingdom of heaven. That's what Tony Robbins and Disney movies and everything in pop culture talks about where we have it in us, right? So I don't think there's absolutely no risk to feel alive if you do the work to shut the five senses and your feelings and your thoughts. It's more boring. Mm -hmm. It's in it. People will laugh at you if they catch you in a dark room with your eyes closed, just breathing. It's lame. You do it in your sweatpants. You don't do it in, in a, in shorts and a rant, you know, and it's not glamorous like being in the grand Canyon. I mean, you know, but I don't think there is a risk. Now I'm, I'm being a little flippant because there is a risk when we're, I agree in the sense when in our senses, yeah, I think you do need to risk something. But if you can pull out of that and just kind of pull out of the matrix, remember Neo, he put his hand up, stopped the bullets, and he saw the ones and zeros. Once he saw the ones and zeros, what's the risk? Mm -hmm. So I, I, now it's so hard to do. And my mind races and I jump right to my to-do list. I'm so close to the kingdom of heaven. And then I start thinking about something I got to do, right? And, and I just shiny object syndrome and I go there. But I think in theory, there's no risk. Hmm. Lachelle? Yeah, I, I'm, you know, uh, both of these are good answers because, you know me, I like to kind of debate things. Um, I think it depends on what your objective is you know, in terms of what being alive means to you. You know, for some people, that doesn't involve any risk. You know, there's a, a some security with being alive and being safe, having the um, ability to kind of control their environment with things that um, mirror their form of security. You know, getting a house and getting deadbolt locks or getting an alarm, doing whatever it is for them to be uh, in control to what they can extent they can to minimize the risk. Mm -hmm. But then I think it's also, um, I think when you're not afraid of dying, then there is no risk because, you know, I just realized that my life is not in my hands anyway uh, because of my spiritual beliefs. So, um, I think there's more opportunities for completely being immersed in the greatest living if I'm able to quiet the noise of others in my senses and following that guiding light every day, which, you know, I can't blame anybody because when I'm not obedient and don't do it, I'm the one that's messing up that peace because I'm choosing to try to think that I can control something that I believe is not in my control. But if I just submit and do and relax and breathe and do the things that Casey mentioned, then I can have that life of, to me, I think it's bliss because things happen that it's like you can begin to have more control, if that makes sense. You know, you can visualize, you can manifest, you can start seeing things happen that you may be thinking about and they line up so much easier if you submit to that plan rather than drive yourself crazy trying to manipulate things that are outside of your control. Mm -hmm. It's like working your energy 
with more leverage when you're working with the current rather than against the current. Mm-hmm. I hope that makes sense. I don't know. It does. <laughs> Reminds me of a book. I think Scott, you read this book, The Surrender Experiment. I'm just masterpiece. About- yeah, I'm just about to start it, but it, it's called the Surrender Experiment. I'm looking at those books, and I'm just like, uh, my question is, what is your favorite book behind you? Because I I'm being distracted with all the books, but I love <laughs> I, I every time I go to a store, I gotta buy one. So, what's your well, favorite back there behind you? So, there's a lot here. I will say, um, <laughs> so similar, but uh, Ishmael, have you read Ishmael? Mm-mm, haven't read. Yeah. It. Yeah, this was written in the 90s and uh, a gorilla who opines on life and uh, history. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. So Ishmael. Um, what was that? The surrender experiment? The surrender experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott, remind me who's the author? Michael Singer, I think. Michael Singer, yeah, he's the yeah. one that also wrote the oh. Untethered Soul. Yeah. Oh, okay. I have a book mm-hmm. just to share since everybody. How to Decide by Annie Duke. Mm. Have you guys read that? No. No. no I'm going to have to tools add more. For making better choices. I love it. It's good. Well, I just got started. I love books, y'all. I heard about this in Clubhouse, so I got that. <laughs> I'm serious. I got I got tons of books. I'm like, you know, that looks like my office, what he's got going on. Except I have them on the floor, on the bookcase, table. <laughs> has you better watch out, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. That's amazing. <laughs> what are some ways that people can connect with you? And I'll start with you, Lachelle. Um, LinkedIn. Any social media platform, uh, Lachelle Atkins or America Supermom. They also can subscribe to my YouTube channel. I have a podcast there. So thanks for having me, Oleg. Of course. Casey? Yeah, leavelawbehind.com. I help unhappy attorneys uh, to leave the legal industry and find a a dream career they love and are good at. So you can find me at Casey at leavelawbehind.com. Mr. Mason? Scott Mason's Purpose Highway is my podcast, and you can find everything you need to know about me through the links there, purposehighway.com. I appreciate all of you for being a part of this, and that as I've shared this with the three of you and so many others that join this, these conversations are the things that make me feel alive because I think there's, in my opinion, there's so much more to learn and to explore And there's so much that I don't know. And in every situation that I believe I know everything, I just know that I don't know anything, actually. So I think there's something profound about these conversations. And I think what makes it special is not only the people that are part of it, but everyone else that chooses to tune in. Jessica, Shante, Kenneth, Miriam, and share their perspectives because that's what allows us to grow and to expand. So I just, I appreciate all of you for being a part of it and, Special thanks to you, Lachelle, to you, Casey, and to you, Scott, for making this space possible. Thank you. I have a quick question because, you know, I I stay youthful with being around you, Olet. Mm -hmm. You can leave a review on LinkedIn now. I just saw that go across there. You can. You can leave it as a post, I think, on the pages. Okay. And then the people who are admins have the ability to pin, pin those posts at the top. Okay. Um, but I don't think there is a specific tab. I think it's more so you, there's a creative workaround 
that you can do around that. But okay, that's See? what I've realized. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the process of manipulation makes us feel alive. <laughs> no, that's why I have young friends. Okay, because they keep me in the know. It would take me two or three months to figure that out, and we'd be on to something new. So <laughs> I appreciate you asking. Thank yeah. you. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider supporting our work by making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today so we can continue creating and sharing these inspiring conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening. And we'll look forward to having you next time.